It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Welcome to all in the audience. I thank you for your continued participation. I pray you are all well. In the last episode, I proved that the fine-tuning of the initial conditions of the universe and the information stored in the DNA molecule both satisfied Dembski's two indicators for design, namely specifications and complexity. So the universe is designed contrary to what Darwin, Dawkins, and others claim that natural selection causes what looks as design to be nothing but the appearance of design. Nevertheless, the conclusion of the design argument is that the universe has a designer. That foundation provides the conclusion of an intelligent, purposeful cause of life. This is a form of the design argument that has been popular among theists for centuries. The design argument makes use of the same mode of reasoning that all kinds of professions use in their everyday activity. The multiverse hypothesis was invoked by the materialistic community without a logical basis to avoid a designer. That hypothesis is blatantly ad hoc, lacks experimental data, and it appears not to be able to be falsified. Thus, I avoid discussing it further. Now, it is important to move beyond the detection of design to discuss the nature of the designer. I have already pointed out that the designer is super intelligent and has a will. Intelligence implies a mind. That designer also takes action planning for diverse possibilities and actualizing the design among the various phenomena of nature. This designer has the power to bring about what the designer intends. Thus, the designer is a powerful agent. I believe that these characteristics, intelligence, will, and activities of planning and actualizing design and power imply that the designer is a person and not impersonal. At this stage, William Paley would have jumped to the conclusion that the designer of the universe is God. But I would like reasons to justify that leap. I do not as yet have those reasons, so I will leave that for a later time. The contest of origins for the beginning of the universe, for life coming from non-life, for consciousness from unconscious matter, features two opposing points of view. 
First, a creator and a designer is responsible for the origin of life. Second, matter, chance, and long periods of time are sufficient to explain the origin of life. There are two main reasons why atheists doubt the design of nature. First, David Hume's argument against miracles. And second, Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. From earliest Christian history, indeed from the pages of the Bible itself, miracles have been the mainstay that Christians have used to defend the Christian faith. Christian apologists have long taken their cue from Jesus' own words that the one sign to his generation of the truth of his claims would be the sign of Jonah. This is the metaphorical phrase Jesus uses to indicate his future crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Hume held that no amount of evidence can establish that a miracle has occurred. This, he argued, is because of the, quotes, uniformity of natural law, end quote. What he meant by this is the idea that the laws of nature are unchanging and most importantly, inviolable. Hume concluded that the uniformity of natural law is supported by the uniform experience of people. Hume then defined a miracle as an event that is a violation of natural law. Let's recap Hume's argument. He defined miracles as an event that violates natural law. Then he said miracles can't happen because of the uniformity of natural law. But he meant that the natural laws cannot be violated. How one defines a miracle is the important point here. Hume defines a miracle as an event that violates natural law. Then he says that natural laws cannot be violated. Thus, by his definition, miracles cannot occur. Whoops, there is something amiss here. It makes no sense to define miracles out of existence, make an argument that claims to prove miracles do not exist, and then claim you have done something of significance. I believe Hume is trying to look and sound good in order to give the appearance of having won an argument, but in fact, he has tried to pull the wool over your eyes. He is not seeking the truth. Notice this is really a circular argument. It assumes the very thing that must be proven. It is not logical to define something as impossible and then conclude from the definition that there is no evidence for it. This is a case of determining the verdict before examining the evidence on its own merits. So even though Hume's opposition to miracles has stayed around for about 250 years, Hume's argument against miracles must be cast upon the junk heap of history. The book talking to your kids about Jesus by Natasha Crane defines a miracle as, quote, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs, end quotes. 
When we define miracle in this way, we can see that the question whether miracles are possible depends on whether anything outside of nature exists. That is, that something supernatural exists. If the natural world is all there is, it follows that miracles aren't possible. There cannot be a divine intervention if there is nothing divine. That is, there is nothing supernatural. The question of whether miracles are possible, therefore, is really a question of whether God exists. Does God exist? That depends on what you mean by God. The notion of God by Mormonism is that a former human being living on another planet became God. So the God of Mormonism came into being after the universe. The universe began to exist by Big Bang cosmology theory or a Genesis event hypothesis. So it must have had a cause by the law of causality. Then who or what caused the universe in Mormonism? I think that Mormonism is caught between a rock and a hard place. Let me now discuss Darwin's theory of evolution. Charles Darwin offered a test for his theory of evolution. In the book On the Origin of Species, he said, quotes, If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down, end quotes. But then he added quickly, I can find no such case. Darwin's theory attempts to explain how complex systems gradually emerge from simpler ones. Darwin said, quotes, Natural selection can act only by taking advantage of slight successive modifications. She can never take a leap, but must advance by the shortest and slowest steps, end quotes. The combined mechanisms of natural selection acting on random mutations supposedly improve systems by tiny steps over long periods of time. According to his theory, such processes are supposed to explain all the complexity and diversity in the living world. Thus, says Darwin, if a complex world existed that could not have been formed by, quotes, numerous successive slight modifications, in quotes, his theory would be falsified, just as Christianity would be falsified if there were not the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus' body, which is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. William Provine gave a quote to support the, the second view. It's similar to a comment by Richard Dawkins. Quotes, there are no gods. There are no purposes in life. No goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I am absolutely certain that I'm going to be dead. That's the end for me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning for life, 
and no free will for humans either, end quotes. In 1996, Lehigh biochemist Michael Behe published a book called Darwin's Black Box, The Biochemical Challenge to Evolution. The book created a firestorm in the biological community. The magazine National Review called it one of the most important nonfiction books of the 20th century. The term black box that appears in the title of Behe's book is used by scientists for systems whose inner workings are unknown. There are several black boxes for me. How my computer works, how an MRI works, and I don't understand how my wife's mind works either. For Darwin, a black box was the cell. The cell was the complex organ that he was concerned about that would break down his theory. Darwin assumed, as did other scientists at that time, that life came from essentially a rather simple substance called protoplasm that could be easily constructed by combining and recombining simple chemicals such as carbon dioxide, oxygen, and nitrogen, similar to salt being produced by adding sodium to chlorine. The scientists assumed that a living cell could be produced by adding together chemical constituents and then allowing spontaneous chemical reactions to produce simple protoplasmic substances that they assumed to be the essence of life. Darwin and other scientists had no idea of the cell's bewildering complexity. Michael Behe's book showed how to test Darwin's theory. His claim was simple. Complex molecular systems exist in the biological world that Darwin's theory of evolution cannot explain. In other words, Behe's essential argument is that certain molecular machines could not have been brought about through numerous successive slight modifications, as Darwin's theory asserts. This is because their component parts are required to function all at once and in conjunction with one another to confer the functions necessary for survival. Behe calls this phenomena irreducible complexity. Behe observes... Since natural selection can only choose systems that are already working, then if a biological system cannot be produced gradually, it would have to arise as an integral unity in one fell swoop for natural selection to have anything to work on. Behe aptly illustrates the concept of irreducible complexity with an everyday mousetrap. The mousetrap needs five items, platform, spring, hammer, holding bar, and a catch. It cannot function if any part is missing. He gives several examples of molecular machines he takes to be irreducibly complex, including the blood clotting cascade, 
bactocilium and the bacterial flagellum. He claims that examples of irreducible complexity can be found on virtually every page of a biochemistry textbook. That being the case, then Behe's claim is tantamount to falsifying Darwinianism. Besides that, any such example of irreducible complex system would be an added example of design in the universe. So I take it that Darwin's theory has been refuted by irreducible complexity and his tree of life has been refuted by the Cambrian explosion. And the foundation behind evolution, namely naturalism, has been defeated by the trustworthiness of rationality of the mind. Let me close this episode by reminding you to exercise daily. Walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.